You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. We are broadcasting from the Vivid Seat Studios. If you're wondering who we are, it's me and the cricket. He is alive and well in my heart. Use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. You know, I was thinking, because I you know, there's something that's been nagging at me for a little bit. I said that Kirk Cousins is a mediocre quarterback, and I also said that I was kind of worried because he can kind of turn it on at times. And what I saw from Kirk Cousins was straight-up trash, which is the second time in a row we saw straight-up trash from a quarterback. And I started kind of trashing him online and whatnot, just having some fun. Kind of one of those things where I talk about how bad he is, even though in the back of my mind I'm thinking, he's not that bad. And then I got Vikings fans saying to me things like, you must not watch him very often because that's basically him all the time. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really surprising because I don't remember that at all. I remember him being kind of scary when we played him. But maybe he's just good against the Packers and, you know, whatever. And then I decided to look it up because the grades via Pro Football Focus are now officially available. Now, the PFF grades are by no means gospel, but I do tend to give them credit, as you know. They have a lot of people, they have a very strict criteria, they have multiple people checking these these grades against that criteria. And so in a very general sense, I tend to, uh, you know, support whatever it is that they say, unless I feel like putting in the time. Most of the time, I don't feel like putting in that much time. Especially if I'm going to go back in time and look at every single game he's ever played, I don't really want to invest that time. He's been playing since 2012. But I found something out that I thought was a little bit interesting that you might also find a little bit interesting. Um, First of all, He played worse against Green Bay than Atlanta, and by a pretty wide margin. So although he's been bad for two weeks, there was something that kind of stood out a little bit. It was was putrid, you could say. In fact, this is the worst game Kirk Cousins has ever played as a Minnesota Viking. And props to you if you know where I'm going with this. This is the worst game via PFF Kirk Cousins has ever played played in the history of his entire career. This game represents roughly 1.3% of his NFL career. This is the worst outing that PFF has ever seen from Kirk Cousins. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the midst of this weird little thing that I got going on. This weird little thing where on one hand, the conservative me is saying, just take it easy. It's only been two weeks. Lighten it up a little bit. Stuff happens. People look real good, then people look real bad. And this is good, and then it's bad, and then that's bad, and then it's good. And But then there's that other part of me that has just a couple questions. 
and there, there was a little something that kind of triggered in my brain, and it, it, it's actually what caused me to go look at this. One of the guys I work with is uh, from Minnesota. He's a Minnesota Vikings fan. Needless to say, he wasn't super happy with the outcome of this game. And he was adamant that Kirk Cousins not only was bad, but he looked scared. He said he couldn't believe it and didn't understand why he was so scared. I thought that was a little interesting, and I actually thought that was kind of weird, because Kirk Cousins is a seasoned veteran, and I can't imagine him being scared of a team that just last year was so terrible. And then because my brain kind of works this way, it just kind of goes down a million different rabbit trails, it kind of got me thinking about the Vikings and Mike Zimmer. And thinking about the way that Packers fans and the Green Bay Packers and pretty much everybody, as much as we dislike the Vikings, nobody is really willing to cross that line and say Mike Zimmer is no good. Nobody's willing to cross that line and say Zimmer and his defense are a bunch of bums. People understand that this is a scary defense. And I just think about Kirk Cousins. And maybe I'm going a little bit off the rails here. But actually, let me go back a little further. I, I, I think about week one against the Chicago Bears sitting at Grandma's house, watching that opening ceremony, listening to that crowd go absolutely insane, listening to that horn go off, watching the 85 Bears storm the field, and just feeling like something is different, and this is terrifying. And then seeing the camera pan over to Khalil Mack, and just knowing how fierce and horrifying that defense is, and it was a little terrifying. I can't help but wonder if there's any truth to the idea that maybe Kirk Cousins was playing a little bit scared. Maybe Kirk Cousins watched the film in which Zadarius and Preston and Kenny Clark absolutely assaulted Mitchell Trubisky. And by the way, made him play one of his worst games ever. He's only played three worse games in his career than the game he played against Green Bay in Week 1. And Week 2 was not one of them. I wonder if quarterbacks and teams are starting to think about Mike Pettin the same way certain people think about Mike Zimmer. If, if, if guys like Kirk Cousins maybe walk out on the field and they see Kenny Clark and they see Zadarius Smith and they see Preston Smith and they see Dean Lowry and they see Rashawn Gary and Blake and these guys up front that just are, 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 are stone-faced. Kenny Clark isn't a talker. Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith are not talkers. These guys just stare at you like stone-cold killers. And then you look in the backfield, and what do you see? A pack of wild animals by the name of Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage. Wild, fierce, fast, violent. Maybe it causes a little hesitation. There's only one sack in the game. It almost felt like Kirk Cousins was expecting three or four or five sacks. The way he was dancing, scrambling, running, panicking. Jair Alexander said he's putting the league on notice. I get the feeling that people have noticed. And maybe the rest of, of the national media hasn't quite caught on. And maybe they tend to think like I think. Like, well, let's, let's see how this plays out. But if you're Kirk Cousins and you're about to be on the receiving end of this absolute onslaught, I don't know if you can be quite as reserved. I don't know if you can come into this saying, yeah, we'll see. When Kenny Clark is blowing your center back into your face play after play, when Dean Lowry is in your face every single play, when you throw to a wide-open receiver who is suddenly not so wide-open anymore because of the speed of guys like Jair Alexander and Darnell Savage and Kevin King, guys that just a second ago were wide-open. They're not wide-open anymore. What do you do? Where do you go? Kirk Cousins isn't that great of a quarterback, and I said that he was overpaid, but he is basically Matthew Stafford. He is 
a middle-of-the-road quarterback. He is a top-15 type quarterback. He is not a bottom-five quarterback. Would you like to know what kind of a performance Kirk Cousins put out? Out of 34 quarterbacks that played, that's every single quarterback, including Josh McCown, who threw five passes, Drew Brees, who threw five passes, every single quarterback that touched a football. There were 34 of them. Kirk Cousins was last, and it was last by a mile. He was way behind Teddy Bridgewater, Jacoby Brissett, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mitchell Trubisky, Cam Newton, Gardner Minshew, and yeah, way behind Case Keenum as well. He was the worst quarterback by a mile. Last week, Mitch Trubisky was 32nd out of 37. That very same week, Kirk Cousins was the 11th best quarterback in the NFL. Only 10 quarterbacks played better than Kirk Cousins in week one. Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Drew Brees, Gardner Minshew, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Jacoby Brissett, Kirk Cousins. Ahead of Deshaun Watson. He's not great, but he's not the worst quarterback in the NFL. He's not great, but he's not that guy that we saw. That that was a grown man living in fear. He was panicked. He was flustered. He didn't know where to throw because there was nowhere to throw, and it terrified him because he knew he only had seconds to get rid of that ball or he was getting smashed. Certain people might be waiting. I'm still waiting because I don't know for sure. Guys like Colin Coward, I don't know if they're ready to accept it yet. But you know who's currently coming to the realization of what's about to happen? Who's currently coming to the realization that this is a terrifying defense? Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco, who is right now watching film. Who is right now watching Zadarius Smith, who is tied for the, the most pressures in the NFL right now. Watching Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry. Watching Jair nearly picking off about 10% of every pass that's thrown his direction. Jair had four pass breakups and nearly had two interceptions in that game. Two balls went right through his arms. Kevin King stole a ball to win the game. Adrian Amos stole the ball to win a game. You know the last time I remember something like this happening? How about the Green Bay Packers up 21-16? to Michael Vick driving the Eagles down the field. Play after play after play launches a ball up in the air, intercepted Tremont Williams to win the game in the wild card the year the Packers won the Super Bowl. How about the very next game against the Atlanta Falcons, a game we were never supposed to win? Tremont Williams came up with two more interceptions in that game. Next week against the Chicago Bears, Sam Shields, two interceptions. B.J. Raji also with a pick. I'm sure you remember that. And then in the Super Bowl, you got Jarrett Bush, Nick Collins, both of them with a pick. These guys were all over it swarming all over the ball. That was a great defense. And that ball was never safe when it was in the air. You know what else we had that year? Pete Clay Matthews, who in week two had eight pressures. Week three had seven pressures. We got BJ up the middle. We got Clay off the edge. We got Shields and Tremont. An elite safety in Nick Collins. Guy who's got that range. Also got guys like Cullen Jenkins and Ryan Pickett up the middle. Of course, you can't forget Charles Woodson. I remember back at that time when people used to talk about Clay Matthews in a way in which people talked about fear. Before the game would start, you'd see him pacing on the sideline with the camera following him, saying, that's a guy you don't want to mess with. That's a guy that quarterbacks are scared of. Maybe I'm getting a little out of turn here, but I think that this defense right now has the potential to be better. Again, 
as these words are coming out, the conservative part of me is saying, stop. Week three, these guys are going to get blown out of the water by Joe Flacco, and some Vikings fan is going to pull up this audio and throw it in your face. And you know better. Stuff changes in the NFL. But I can tell you through two weeks that nothing I'm saying right now is false. The talent on this defense. Kirk Cousins playing his worst game ever. Trubisky with his third or fourth worst game ever. He had a rebound game, according to PFF, against the Denver Broncos defense and Vic Fangio, their former defensive coordinator. The Chicago Bears scored three points. The Minnesota Vikings had three plays in that game. And if you take those three plays away, I don't know if they score a single point. I said yesterday, you can't take it away. They earned it. They got it. That's great. There were no sustained drives against the Packers. There was no frustrating, oh, come on, let's get them off the field. Come on now, another first down. Come on, what are we doing here? The Vikings couldn't do anything. And they got three points off of three big plays. After just about getting booted off the field, Dalvin Cook rips off a 75-yard touchdown. There's one. A bomb to Stephon Diggs that should have been picked off by Jair Alexander was two. And a giant play by Don Beebe when he did not get into the end zone resulted in a field goal. Because after that big play, they got shut down. They couldn't even finish the drive to get into the end zone. They had nothing. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm still not on board with Minka necessarily. People are talking about how he had a great game yesterday. I, I, you know, again, I, 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 maybe I should just go watch it so I'm not just referencing PFF all the time, but they weren't impressed. Yeah, he had a fantastic grade. It was in run defense. His coverage grade was mediocre, and the week before it was horrible. In fact, I think he's only had three or four games in his career where he had even a good coverage grade. I, I just, I don't know. But I'll tell you what, if there's one thing that gets me excited about it, if we're going to assume that Minka Fitzpatrick is a great, great football player and would be a great slot corner... It's the fact that I think this defense is for real. For real as in top five defense. For real as in top three potential. And that going all in and getting a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick could push this defense over to the over the edge. I'm not I'm not getting I'm not wasting a first round pick if we still need seven new defensive players and we're still two years out from winning a Super Bowl. I'm not doing it. It's a waste. I need my picks. We gotta build this thing intelligently. But if I'm looking at a team that legitimately can be a top five defense, and then I look on the other side of the ball and I've got Aaron Rodgers and I got Devontae Adams, and in week two, things kicked off, and we'll get into the specifics in a little bit. They're back. Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. They're right back in sync. So on one hand, I've got a top tier defense. Currently, PFF has the Green Bay Packers after two weeks as the number two defense in the NFL. Excuse me, number three, if I said number two. I don't know what I was thinking. Above the Bears, above the Vikings. Number three. Again, I don't know if that's going to hold up. I don't know if them being the fifth best pass rushing team in the NFL is going to hold up. I don't know if if them being the number four coverage team in the NFL is going to hold up. I don't know. But what I know is that what everybody has said since forever is that if Aaron Rodgers ever gets a defense, this team is a Super Bowl contender day one. At this point, it's not a question of is this defense capable of winning a Super Bowl. This defense right here is ready and primed for the playoffs today. All we're doing right now is trying to get this offense up to speed with Matt LaFleur and get them in sync. 
get Matt LaFleur ready, get him more adjusted into these these adjustments and play calling, get Aaron Rodgers and he in sync, get these wide receivers and the running backs and everybody in sync. But the question is, am I ready to pull the trigger right now? And I am stunned that we're even have that I, that I'm even saying those words. Because I, I never thought in a million years that this would be anything less than a two-year rebuild. We just tore it down at the end of last year. We just tore it down. We, we ripped it to its bones just last year. Fired the coach, fired the offensive coordinator, fired everybody. We shipped off HaHa to Washington, right? Ty Montgomery, gone. Jermaine Whitehead, gone. Cut, 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 fired, fired, fired. The locker room's a mess. It's a disaster. The defense is terrible. We don't have pass rush. We don't have, have any... We're no good against the run. We can't cover anybody. We can't pass the ball. We can't run the ball. What is this? I said before the season started that Brian Gutekunst has a lot on the line. Because he not only went out and made a lot of moves and spent a lot of money, but he went out and signed long-term contracts to a bunch of young players. If this doesn't work, if Amos is no good coming from Chicago, if Zadarius is no good, a guy who's had one good year, if Preston is no good, a guy who had one good year this last year, not to mention his last two draft classes, of which basically he had had Jair, and, and what else? There was a lot on the line. On the other hand, if this defense is for real, if, if this is a, at least a step in the right direction, this team is primed for success not just this year but for the long term. Zadarius Smith, four-year contract. Preston Smith, four-year contract. Adrian Amos, four-year contract. Darnell Savage is a rookie. Kenny Clark is still 15 years old. Rashawn Gary is a rookie. Jair is only in his second year, and if Kevin King keeps playing like this, that boy's about to get paid. Paid with a capital P, and there's probably a Y in there somewhere. Throw in a silent J and in a couple extra zeros. Season is still very, very, very young. But all I wanted to see against the Vikings was for the defense to not regress and for the offense to improve. The only other goal is obviously get a win and stay healthy. With the exception of a Raven Green injury, every single one of those things was a check mark. The secondary improved, which I didn't even ask for. The offense improved leaps and bounds. We won the game, and as much as Raven Green has been a key piece of this violent, aggressive, freakishly talented defense, one injury compared to what everyone else is going through right now, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Derwin, the Bengals' whole team, we're still very, very fortunate up to this point. And if this defense can hold up what it's doing and the offense can continue to improve and meet its full potential, sailing into the playoffs is not going to be a problem. The only question is whether or not they're going to be ready to take on teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Los Angeles Rams, and ultimately the Patriots. It's funny, I had another random thought today. I remember a very, very long time ago, before the Patriots started this dynasty, when the Rams were basically Goliath and the Patriots were David. Everybody said I was crazy because I said the Patriots would win, not because I knew anything about football or cared, but because I have family in Massachusetts, so the Patriots were always my second favorite team. The Rams had better everything, according to the experts. Better quarterback, 
better running back, better wide receivers, better everything. But the Patriots unseated them and have not stepped down from that throne ever since. I think it would be somewhat fitting if they went out the same way they came in. Unbeatable Goliath on top of the NFL. Better quarterback, wide receiver, offensive line, according to all the experts, better in every single category. Better coach, better discipline, better corners, safeties, everything. I can tell you what, if nothing else, it's exciting that after two weeks of football, I'm already thinking about a Patriots-Packers Super Bowl. Again, we'll see how this all plays itself out. Packers could still be an 8-8 eight and eight team by the time this is all said and done. But as best as I can tell, everything is currently in place. All the question marks that I had prior to the season, I've now seemingly got answers to. Is Preston Smith and is Zadarius Smith going to be a complete bust in the NFL? Absolutely not. Another question, a follow-up. Why would you pay Zadarius that much money? Maybe because he's that good. Maybe because in 2019, he is tied in pressures with the guy who had the most sacks in the NFL last year. Questions about the secondary. Is Jair actually going to take a step? Is he going to look more like the beginning of the year last year or a little bit more like the end of the year? If he gets better, how much better? Is Kevin King actually going to turn this thing around? Adrian Amos is good with the Bears. What happens when he comes here? Darnell Savage looks real good on tape in college. What's he going to be in the NFL? What's going to happen with this locker room? What's going to happen between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers? Never in a million years would I have expected that every single one of these things would be answered in a positive way. My hope was that at least most and the most important ones would be positive and a couple would bust out. Maybe Zadarius isn't that good, but he's decent enough. Maybe Amos isn't quite as good as he was with the Bears, but he's still okay. Jair is still about what he was. Kevin King took a step, although he's not great. He's, he's still better. He's, you know, he's starter caliber. You know, he's, he's fine. Something. I don't know. I know it's the Bears and the Vikings. Vikings were garbage last year. Trubisky's not a good quarterback. Could be a fluke, man. And maybe we'll, we'll have another decent game against the Broncos. That'll be down to the wire because the Broncos are also a garbage team. And then maybe we go and face the Eagles and get smoked and then be, face the Cowboys and get whooped on and then face the Lions and get beat. Face the Chiefs and get absolutely embarrassed. I don't know. I know the Broncos lost to the Bears and we beat them. I know the Eagles lost to the Falcons who lost to the Vikings. I know Dallas so far has beat the Redskins and the Giants. Big whoop. There's not a, not a pass rusher between those two teams. Josh Norman is the best corner between those two and I don't know if he can touch anybody. Man has had one good year in his entire career. Chiefs look unstoppable against the Jaguars and the Raiders. I'm not even going to try to downplay the Chiefs, but I'm not going to pretend that putting up 40 points on the Jaguars is the same as putting up 40 points on the Packers. When you've got a corner on the Jaguars saying, I want to be traded because this guy doesn't know what he's doing because he's trash. He doesn't even know how to utilize my talents. This defensive coordinator is garbage. Then you follow it up with 28 points against the Raiders. 28? Chiefs are going to have a great record by the time they see the Packers. Jaguars, Chiefs, Ravens, Lions, Colts, Texans, Broncos, and then Packers? Who's going to beat the Chiefs? My memory's just firing all kinds of crazy today because it reminds me of something else. If the Chiefs and Packers are undefeated, it kind of harkens back to the undefeated Broncos against the undefeated Packers, where you had this elite 
defensive juggernaut in the Denver Broncos going up against this elite, unbeatable Packers offense. Nobody knew how to stop the Packers offense until they went up against this undefeated team with a great defense who was able to shut it down and expose the fact that if you, if you shut down the offense, there's nothing they can do. They don't have a defense. They can't stop you. Then you lay out the groundwork for everybody else to see how you beat them, and there you go. Paper dragon. Well, they got Mahomes, and we had Rodgers. I'm usually a lot more reserved, but sometimes i got to cut loose, man. I think the Packers have demonstrated it. There's no more questions. I don't have any more questions. The, the only question is, is this, is this the year... And I, you know, the same for every team. It's the year, yes, for the Chiefs, it's it's all in time. If you're the Patriots, yeah, always all in. Cowboys, yeah, we're going for it. Rams, you bet. Eagles, absolutely. But if you're the GM of the Packers, that that is a legitimate question because you just finished a teardown of this team. I don't know if there was ever a real intention of putting the gas all the way to the floor in the first year of this rebuild. But at this point in the season, I'm starting to think about it. I'm starting to wonder. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. If, if, if the Packers show massive improvement on defense but ultimately fizzle out maybe 10, 11 wins, 9 wins, whatever, barely sneak into the playoffs, get eliminated, you know, whatever. Again, this team is built for the long haul. And the most impressive thing of all is that all the people that are locked up long term are the ones that are the most impressive at this point. Preston, Zadarius, Amos, Rodgers, I expect Bakhtiari, Devontae, Kenny Clark, Kevin King, I expect some extensions to keep the core players. And then from there, what do you do? You add. And I don't know that we need to go out and binge in free agency because we got this great offensive draft class coming up. Elite wide receiver weapons. And I'll throw something else out there. I love Aaron Jones. I've got nothing against Aaron Jones. But watching Dalvin Cook makes you realize what that kind of a running back can do. What happens when a guy like that hits the hole and you don't close it instantly? 75-yard touchdown is what happens. What happens with Travis Etienne or Jonathan Taylor falls to the back of the, the first round, falls into the 20s or whatever? You going to let him slide past you? Point is, a lot of talent on offense. Offensive line, running back, wide receivers. If we're not quite where we need to be this year, there's every reason to believe that 2020 or 2021 could absolutely be the year because of what was built this year by Brian Gutekunst. Absolutely incredible. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break because <laughs> we haven't done one yet, and we'll get into a couple specifics. Sound good? Good. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Pack Daddy's Playland, where the fun don't stop. So obviously that last um, little blurb there was recorded last night because I was all fired up for some reason. Sometimes I get a little fired up, man. But uh, that is to say that I woke up this morning, saw Minka Fitzpatrick was traded to the Steelers, which to be honest is, you know, kind of awesome. Maybe the second best option outside of the Packers getting him, but again, I was a little iffy on that anyways. But, um, I mean, he's going to his team that just is not very good. And I, I just, I don't get the trade you just lost your quarterback. And I know he committed, like, dude, I'm going to come back. I'm going to play another two years. But, I mean, I still want to draft a quarterback. And this is, this, I mean, dude, this is the year with Mason Rudolph that you're going to get, like, a top five pick. At least a top ten. I mean, you've got a quarterback locked up. Unless you just love Mason Rudolph, which would be shocking because I remember watching him in college and just thinking, he... Reminds me a lot of Brett Hundley in terms of how he threw the ball. Because I was watching him play at the same time that we had Brett Hundley as a starting quarterback. And so he was not my favorite. That's not to say that he isn't going to be a good quarterback when he gets into the NFL and sits behind Big Ben for a while. I don't know. I just don't get it, especially for a team. As I said, I'm looking at the Packers. I'm looking at the Chiefs. I'm looking at teams that are ready to go all in. That or maybe teams that are close and have a ton of cap space, but even so, you got to give up a first-round pick. I just, I mean, unless you just, I don't know. It's not one of those things that suddenly we're going to start winning now. I mean, even if he is that good, and I don't know that he is, but even if he is, a slot corner just isn't going to do it for you. Slot corners are not what makes a team happen. And if you're putting him at safety, you're putting him at that position that I don't know that he's very good at. I mean, there's still a bunch of holes. That first-round pick, well, maybe, maybe, I mean, I guess giving away first-round picks for you is not the worst thing because, I mean, you drafted Terrell Edmonds. He's not very good. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't knock you for Devin Bush because I think everyone expects him to be a good player, but he's been kind of terrible. But still, man, Mason Rudolph? I don't know. I just, the team's okay. 0-2 is a little bit shocking. Juju's still good. Offensive line's still decent. I just, I don't get it, man. This is going to be your one opportunity to get a really high pick at the exact same moment that your quarterback is very, very, very close to being gone and gone for good. And you're just going to give it away to Miami, who's already going to have the number one overall pick and may now have another top five. I mean, can you imagine if they have two top five picks? And maybe I'm wrong and the Steelers are going to, you know, squeeze into the playoffs because their division is trash outside of Baltimore might be actually pretty good. I know it's a Packers podcast, but I'm just, I want to elaborate a bit on this because it was a big story for a while. And it goes to sort of a general theory of, of when and why you would ever give a first round pick for a slot corner. Oh my goodness. The world has gone crazy. But again, 
great news for me. It's not um, it's not the Vikings who lost their slot corner. It's not the Bears who are operating with Buster Scrine, Screeny Scrine. I know it's Screen, but it's spelled Scrine, so whatever. It's weird. It's probably why he's not good at football. I don't know. It's not the Patriots. It's not the Chiefs. So I guess I don't really care. It's not the Cowboys. That would have been bad. It is an AFC team who is not a threat whatsoever, and they're giving up their uh, very early pick to a team that um, even with, geez, what do they say? They have five first-round picks in the first in the next two years. It's still not going to be enough. <laughs> it, it actually might, though. It actually might. I'm going to have a lot of fun with my 2020 mock this week. Man, oh, man, that's crazy. And the Texans are off to a slightly rocky start. They're 1-1. One one. They gave their first-round pick to Miami, too. If the Tex, Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Crazy town. Anyways, anyways, I, I made a lot of, um, I made a big deal about the locker room. And I, you know, even today I talked a lot about the locker room. And I've also talked a lot about the energy on defense. And I talked, if you've been listening for a while, you remember what I said about how we need to get more aggression and more energy on the defense. And how I said, where's Mike Daniels? Because we need that. I said, was Zadarius coming? We need somebody to be that voice because there needs to be a kind of energy in this defense because defenses, I think, are different than offenses. I think defenses need that sort of aggression. They need that kind of energy to feed off of. They need to be chirping at the mouth. They need to be high-fiving and getting all jacked up and all kinds of crazy. And I said, Jair is that kind of guy, but who else? And with that in mind, I'd like to play something for you. This defense looks different. What feels so good about this group under Mike Pettin? Everybody brings energy, man. Nobody, nobody is dead out there, man. Everybody's bringing energy. Everybody's coming to play. We feed off each other, man. It's, just, it's so contagious, man, the energy that guys bring to practice in, in a week in, a week out during the game. And then you just everybody feeds off of it, and we all play up to the level of the energy that we bring. Apologize for that being recorded in mono instead of stereo. But it really just plays into what I've been saying for a long time and and really how many things needed to go right at the exact same time for this to happen. This isn't just a matter of talent. It's bigger than talent. I think realistically, you can probably find better pass rush duos than Preston and Zedarius. I think realistically, there are better linebackers than Blake Martinez. And I think realistically, there are better safety duos than Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos. And although maybe not many, there are probably better duos than King and Jair. Now, how many teams have all those components together, I don't know. But the point is, and this is what I was talking about before, about, you know, it it seems dumb, but why is it when you go to the gym, you need really loud, really angry music? What is the point of that? I mean, assuming you're lifting heavy weights, if you're on a treadmill, maybe it's a different story. But but why? Why do you need something like that? If If you're going for a new personal best, if you're trying to beat your one rep max or whatever... What is the purpose of this this you know pre-lift ritual? Why are why are guys getting smacked in the face and slapped on the back? Why is Ronnie Coleman screaming lightweight baby? What is all that? What's with the music? There's this, there's something about being in a different state of mind to bring something and going above and beyond what you're able to do. The fact that they, as Preston said, feed off of each other and the energy that they bring. Jair sees Zadarius. Zadarius is watching Kenny. Kenny sees Preston. Preston sees King. King sees Savage. They see the violence, the aggression, the effort. 
I also mentioned it, it's similar to when you're at work. I remember working a landscaping job. There's just something different when you're digging a pile of dirt into wheelbarrows and, and pushing it up a hill, and you've been doing that for three hours, the pace starts to slow. Suddenly somebody comes over and just starts shoveling ridiculously fast. Everybody starts going faster. It's a weird psychological trick. Our boss used to show up and do that and be like, let's go, boys. Come on. And starts sprinting up a hill with the wheelbarrow. Everybody starts going faster. Why? Who cares what he's doing? Why is some, seeing somebody act like a crazy person make you turn into a crazy person? I don't know. But this also goes into why, you, why character matters. Why you don't want a guy like A.B. in your locker room. Well, it doesn't matter. He's got talent. Everybody's just going to have to get over it. No, I don't think so. Look at what that locker room is compared to what it was. It was a nightmare. The stuff coming out of there that you were starting to hear, how that showed up on the sideline where nobody talked to each other, nobody seemed to like each other. This is like a giant college frat party. This happened overnight. You can just see this is a locker room that purged all the bad energy. How happy Aaron Rodgers is despite being upset about losing Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson and all these people he wanted to stick around and being stuck with all these young young fellas. He loves it in that locker room now. He loves being around that infectious energy. I mean, everything is just perfect. And again, everything can regress. Everything can change. That's fine. But just how perfectly everything came together in a year, if things stay this way, is almost masterful from Brian Gutekunst. That or just blindly dumb luck crazy to hit on Preston, to hit on Zadarius and Amos and Savage and Jair. To go out and spend all that money on guys that I think a lot of people are scratching their head. Because, I mean, we, you know, we, we can look at who did what, who was productive. You know, everyone, everyone's snatching up Justin Houston and D. Ford, Trey Flowers, Earl Thomas. Everybody is going out paying big money for these old guys that everybody already knows. Who in the world is Adarius Smith? I mean, okay, we all learned and found out and saw highlights, and that's cool, but... Who is Preston Smith? And why are they getting all of our money? But you watch, and again, there was a time when I thought this was weird until last year when I saw how how poisonous a, a, a negative locker room can be. And I know losing has a lot to do with it, and I know winning has a lot to do with this positive kind of energy. And I talked to that before. The relationship between Rodgers and LaFleur is going to have a lot to do with whether we're winning or losing. The, 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 the locker room environment is going to have a lot to do with whether we're winning or losing. But you look at Preston and Zadarius and how they interact with each other, and you can't tell me that that kind of a thing wasn't seen prior to bringing them here. That these are the kinds of people that they are. That there is a, 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 there is a type. And the type goes beyond you know guys along the defensive line that are big and long-armed. Young, hungry, wild, aggressive, but at their core, they're good people. Rashawn Gary is a madman. He's violent, he's aggressive, he's unbelievably athletic, but he's also incredibly loyal. I've mentioned a couple times that interview that he did uh, with Rich Eisen. They went to the same college. Rashawn Gary did not go to any bowl games or any of that kind of stuff, so he missed out on a game against Michigan State. And Rich Eisen asked him about it. Rashawn Gary's blood just boiled talking about Michigan State. Hated them with a passion. Not fake hatred. He talked about his, his guys being his brothers. This is a guy with supreme loyalty. I knew it when I heard that interview. And I've seen it since he's come to Green Bay. He has been supremely 
loyal to the Packers. Those tears were very real when we drafted him. This is a guy who will always be loyal to the Green Bay Packers. He will fight and bleed for this team. That's just in his DNA. These are my people. This is my family. I think that matters. These are my brothers. There is an absolute brotherhood among this team. You look at how people are even pairing off amongst this group. Jair talking about Jair and King are going to lock down the rest of the, the, you know, they're putting the league on notice. Preston and Zedarius don't do interviews without each other now. The only thing I can even compare to it is what what the Packers wide receivers were back in the day. Back when Jordy and, and Cobb, I don't even remember who the whole group was, but I, I, I just remember they were really, really, really close. I don't know if that was, I think that was back with, with Driver. Probably Jones and Jennings too, but it's probably just the whole crew. But they were really, really tight. Other groups that have been like that, the Packers offensive line. You can go back to when there was sitting. You can you can come to even now. Some of the best Packers offensive lines were back in the day when you would just hear about them hanging out all the time playing board games. There's just something about that. There's something about having that camaraderie, having that closeness. It matters. It's important. And so I, you know, I, I don't think I fully understood it last year, but I started to get it when things fell apart, and I ran with it. And I said, you know what, I don't think we should get A.B., I'm not sure exactly how I feel about Le'Veon, although I don't know that he's necessarily a bad person. It, it makes me a little uncomfortable when a player says, I don't want to be here, although that's becoming the new norm. I think Le'Veon Bell has set quite a trend. That really just seems to be the new norm as players just saying, I'm not going to be here anymore, either because I want to get paid, I'm not going to play, or I just I don't want to be here because I don't want to be here because I don't like you guys because this team is garbage. And now teams are just playing ball, like, all right, I guess if you don't want to be here, bye. It's really, really crazy, that change in dynamic. Which, by the way, this also helps that. You look at the toxic environment that was the Jaguars' corners. These guys are, are, they've got that kind of energy that Jair has, but they've got somewhat, a little bit more of a toxic energy. They rub people the wrong way. There's a little bit of an A-B kind of energy. It can be real positive if things are going well, but it's real combustible. This kind of a locker room is going to help to kind of keep those situations at a minimum. It also helps the GM and it helps our team so we don't have people holding out and saying, I'm not playing for this team or I want out of this team. I want money or else I'm going to not play. I'm going to abandon my my fellow teammates. I'm not going to be there with them. Some of these guys are not going to be okay with that. I mean, most players end up supporting it anyways. It's it's sort of a brotherhood in that way. You know, we all want to get paid. But from the perspective of the person who's going to abandon the team, that may not be acceptable to them personally. I have to play with my guys. I'm not going to leave them out there by themselves. And I think the Packers really do a good job of, of just paying guys that deserve to get paid. I don't think they really string along a lot of guys. A little bit concerned about, you know, guys like Kenny Clark coming up. I hope that he gets paid. I don't want to see that kind of a situation where he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not playing until I get a contract. But either way, I really think the Packers will honor it. And I, honor it, and I do think that they do a good job of, of paying people appropriately. Because they're on the on the flip side, they're also a team that says if if you're not worth the money, you're gone. Whereas you get a lot of other teams, like let's say the Vikings, for example, who are willing to dole out way too much to keep guys that really don't deserve the kind of money that they get. Those are the teams that are in kind of a pinch. Now they haven't had this kind of situation. That was just the first thing that came to mind. But you get teams that kind of overspend. They want to keep everybody. And um, so then when you get down to this guy that really wants that contract kind of like well you know we got to move some money around and you know they start nickel and diamond and 
No, the, the Packers are the kind of team that are going to look at a guy like Blake Martinez that, that 90% of the league is going to keep, and they're going to say, you know, we appreciate you, you're a very good guy, but um, we're going to move on. And again, that's not necessarily a prediction. At this point, I would say it's actually more likely that Corey Lindsley's gone, and uh, maybe Elton Jenkins slides into that spot, because Corey hasn't been super fantastic so far, and he's got a big contract coming up, and I don't know if we're going to want to pay him. But anyways, the bottom line is those are the kinds of quality players that, of course, the Packers want to keep. It's just a matter of value, and, and the Packers are just are stone-cold killers when it comes to their money. Not to say that, you know, I don't want to go down this dumb road of, of being horrible, evil, multi-millionaires. Such a tired, boring, garbage conversation to have. It's a salary cap. It's salary cap management. By the way, the Packers aren't run by billionaires, so please don't give me that garbage. I had somebody say that the other day I saw on Twitter, referencing the Packers, talking about, oh, of course you would support the billionaires. I'm sorry, which billion, which, which Packer is a billionaire? Aaron Rodgers is the closest guy in Green Bay to being a billionaire. What are you talking about? But anyways, I, I just, um, I'm, and again, I understand it's two weeks, but I'm kind of just in awe of, of how this has all come together because so far everything has, has fallen in the positive, in, in a very positive way. I went through all offseason down the checklist of, you know, what's going to happen with this? Good or bad? What's going to happen with this? Good or bad? And so far, everything's been good, 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 good. And I, you know, I really genuinely believe the locker room is a major component. I don't think everything falls good if there wasn't this level of brotherhood and camaraderie among the defense. I don't think we see this level of play from Jair, from Kevin King, from you know this early in, uh, of an output from from Jair, I don't think we see Zadarius and Preston and all these guys. I'm not saying they'd be bad. I just don't think you would see, and and the defense working as a unit, right? You might have a guy having a good day or this, you know, these these two or three guys having a good day, but everybody just playing as if they're playing for everybody else is impressive. So, anyways, today was supposed to be PFF day, but I wanted to you know get a few thoughts out there with how genuinely impressed with with this first two weeks I have been. It hasn't been perfect, but um, the defense is exceeding my expectations. And I think if if it's meeting your expectations, you set too high of expectations. But good for you for doing it, because this is a very rare and very unusual thing. For a team to be that bad, and for a GM to just hack this team apart, and then flood a bunch of new people in here and to have this kind of production... And, and all the credit in the world to Mike Patton, who, by the way, is also to the credit of Mr. Gutekunst and Mark Murphy that everybody wants to hate. Mark Murphy, who actually is the one that really has his name on all of this because he's the one that decided, nah, this isn't working. He's the one that turned around when he was out there working on Town and everything and everything started to fall apart and he turned around and said, you know what, we're going to start making some changes around here. He went out and got Gutekunst and made the decision to, to move him up and move Elliot Wolf out. Not that he really moved him out, but, you know, he knew Elliot was going to leave or was going to be poached. He's the one that decided, you know, I love you, Mike, but how about a one-year contract until we can see how this thing goes? Lots and lots of credit due to the people up top, including Mr. Mark Murphy, maybe even primarily Mr. Mark Murphy, the guy that nobody wants to give credit and everybody thinks he's too involved. He's not too involved. He is the guy that orchestrated this. But anyways, them's my thoughts. Folks, have yourselves a fine, fine Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.